Today on our Ford Academy podcast, we have Martin Sweeney, CEO and co-founder of Ravelin. For those of you who don't know, Ravelin is a smart fraud detection and prevention solution that helps companies stop online payments fraud through machine learning and examining customer behavior data. Martin's background is in software and physics, and he previously worked for Halo before setting up Ravelin with his four co-founders. When he's not running Ravelin or being nominated for Entrepreneur Awards, he enjoys spending time with his family and can be found fishing and rock climbing. So I want to start with a bit of a challenge. That sounds good. Excellent. So can you give me a two minute summary of PSD2 and open banking? Great. Okay, so I'll start off with PSD2. PSD2 is an effort by the European Commission to introduce more competition into the payments industry. They believe that there are three main strands to this. First is the opening up of access into people's bank accounts, which overlaps heavily with open banking in the UK. The second is uh, the introduction of more security into payments, so that the consumers who shop online and everywhere else are protected more than they are at the moment. And the third is to uh, offer an, an alternative to the existing payment system in the form of a Visa MasterCard and allow people to pay direct bank to bank. So PSD2 in a nutshell, these three things, overlaps with open banking, which is a UK initiative kicked off by the Competition and Markets Authority, again with the remit of increasing competition between the big nine banks in the UK, uh, but much more focused on the open aspect of PSD2, such, such as um, APIs to allow people to access details of their transactions and their bank accounts, and also to eventually offer the direct bank-to-bank payments that we talked about earlier. And who does PSD2 affect the most, in your opinion? Well, I think the obvious one are the banks, because that's where all the attention is focused right now. Um, So the banks have had to go through a big effort to open up and do lots of work to create APIs they didn't have before and to comply with all of these new regulations. So the first burden falls heavily on banks. But then there are other side effects. The, The retailers who are affected by the changes in the security aspect, the Uh, merchant acquirers and PSPs who have to become now regulated entities and who are audited and who have very strict requirements for security and fraud thresholds. Um, So it's basically everybody in the payments chain. Uh, I think least of all in some ways initially are the consumers. So people won't really notice anything's happening, but you will start to see a whole raft of new companies emerging or existing companies starting to use the offerings that the banks have made available. And speaking of banks, do you think PSD2 will create a more competitive ecosystem or will we see a lot more collaborations happening? Mm. So I think we'll see how this plays out. It will probably take a good few years until we start to see the real implications of PSD2 on the landscape. But I do start to see indications in the market of this becoming a differentiator for consumers. And it's also evident that some banks are better set up to deal with these sort of changes than others. Uh, If you think about a bank who has acquired their way into the market by bolting together different systems and then have an okay offering versus somebody who has grown organically and built their systems from scratch and maintained them properly, uh, these people have the ability to innovate faster if they've done the right thing. And I think if we play this out over the next few years, you'll start to see banks who struggle to attract consumers because the services those consumers now expect won't be available on certain banks. And so you'll probably see a drop off. But the switch people make from bank to bank is very rare. Consumers don't really like account switching. It's just not something that people do very often. But we may see this as a new catalyst for that. And if that does happen, then there will be big implications for many of the banks. 
And I want to talk to you a bit about PSD2 and fraud. What does PSD2 mean for fraud liability and for banks and other payments? I just don't think anyone knows at the moment. One of the problems with PSD2 is that so much of it is ambiguous. So much of it is open to interpretation and the regulators are kind of scrambling to keep up with all the barrage of requests they're getting from industry. Um, what we do know is that the regulation introduces a new regulated entity. So the payment service provider, traditionally seen as gateway or the uh, the merchant acquiring bank, these people are going to be expected to have much lower fraud levels than before. And if you don't have low fraud levels, then you have to have to make your end consumer pay through 3D Secure or two-factor authentication of some sort. Um, what isn't well understood at the moment is what happens when fraud does happen. So let's take the example of new payments, bank-to-bank uh, -bank payments initiated by the merchant or by the by the consumer and paying direct from your Barclays account into the merchant's HSBC account. Um, what happens when you phone up your bank in two weeks' time and say, that wasn't me? Um, it's unclear at the moment because of the two-factor implications of that new payment system. The banks could technically say, I'm sorry, but you know you made the payment, off you go. But I do think consumers' expectations will diverge heavily from that, that, uh, that current line in the sand because we've been trained for so long to be comfortable with the liability cycle that exists in card payments. One of the big benefits of card payments, particularly credit card payments, is that you have protected by things like Section 75, which means that if your merchant goes belly up, an airline or something, a holiday, a dishwasher doesn't turn up, you can phone up your credit issuer and get the money back. Um, now, under the new regulations, uh, it's unclear whether that consumer priority exists, but I expect the market will react to consumer demands, and consumer demands, I think, will be driven by their own preferences. And uh, I'm interested to hear what behaviours you think we'll, we'll, we'll see amongst banks and other fintechs in the space. So if you look at the UK, the CMA9, the Competitions and Markets Authority, big nine banks, they've all been, been given a deadline which they've all more or less missed of the 13th of January to become open banking compliant. But let's imagine that they will get their act together and in the next few weeks they'll start delivering on these APIs. Um, I think what we'll see is that these banks will open up with a barrage of fear, uncertainty, and doubt to, to convince consumers that you, know, you don't really need this and uh, nothing's going to change. But actually, I think there are some big changes ahead for those banks. Um, we can see that they may run the risk, if they're not smart, of becoming intermediaries or dumb pipes in the ecosystem, with the endpoints of those APIs delivering the real value to, real value to consumers. So let's say a new mega startup comes along with a really attractive proposition and builds its entire business around open banking. That's money the bank could have been closing. That's money that that's relationships the bank should have had. Whereas now they're just merely a provider of infrastructure. And that means that the, the margins and the valuations those banks have uh, alter significantly, which will affect their share prices, which will affect their existence in some cases. And you're, a, you're an expert in this field, so what advice would you give to banks and other fintechs, um, even merging fintechs, relevant fintechs or ones that have been in the space for, for many years? Mm. So to banks, I think many, many pieces of advice have already been given because they're much further on in the process than the fintechs. So I would say stay the course and deliver and don't, don't deprioritize this if you're a bank. It's, it's really, really important for you guys to do. For fintechs and emerging fintechs, I would say to temper your enthusiasm slightly. This is going to be big, but it's also going to be slow. So don't peg your hopes on a rollout in the next three days. It's going to take a year to get decent levels of service. And then also um, work nicely with the banks. They do have the option 
the, the sort of card up their sleeve to turn you off if they so decide. There are many cases where, in the regulation, the banks have a, a veto on who uses their APIs and they can at any time pull the rug out from under your feet. So if you're doing something that feels a little shady, even if it's not, but even if the banks feel threatened or worried, they can and will turn you off. And so it's in your interest to play nice, even if it's a, um, a veiled threat to that business. Absolutely. And so we've spoken a bit about consumer behaviour and banks and fintechs. What are the consequences of PSD2 for retailers? I think retailers are only just waking up to the implications, really. It's, uh, it's something that falls out of the security aspect. So of those big three pillars of PSD2, the one that affects retailers the most is the desire by the regulators for there to be less fraud and more security online. Um, what this really means in practice is if you look at card payments, you look at merchants online at the moment, um, very often the, the options on the table of things like 3D Secure are not taken up by the merchants because they don't believe it's in their interests from a point of view of conversion. So if you turn on 3D Secure, you, many customers will just stop ordering on your site because they've forgotten their password. Um, this regulation makes it almost compulsory to have to use 3D Secure. And that's going to be a big painful change for retailers. So they've got to, they've got to embrace the fact that this is necessary now. Um, they've got to probably, in order to offset the downsides of this, embrace the changes for the second version of 3D Secure, 3D Secure 2, that just been put out by EMV Co. with MasterCard and Visa and American Express. Um, and work with their PSPs and acquirers to make sure that they support that properly. And then lastly, it would be to at all costs avoid actually using 3D Secure. And the way that they need to do that is by having really low levels of fraud. So the regulations stipulate that if you have, if you meet certain thresholds, which are actually quite low in terms of fraud numbers, then you can get away with not using 3D Secure. And actually what I think retailers will end up doing is competing on and, and actually choosing their PSPs and their acquirers based around the fraud rates they can offer to merchants, to retailers. So for retailers, the big change in the next year and a half, whilst this is rolled out, is that they've got to get their house in order when it comes to fraud and 3D Secure. And uh, in order to do that, they probably want to invest in their fraud solution. And I want to finish with how we started with a bit of a challenge. Uh, can you describe PSD2 in three words? Very big change. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on our on You're our welcome. Pleasure to be here.